Hi, everybody, and welcome to Dr. Caxton's podcast, Timeless Truths in Medicine and Marriage. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Caxton. Dr. Caxton, how are you? Fine, thanks, Neil. How are you today? Good. You're going to teach us lessons learned from COVID-19 now, that there in this last year, we've, we have a lot of lessons that were learned. Absolutely. I, I think one of the first places I want to start with is to debunk the idea of virology conspiracy. In other words, people say, well, the virus was uh, genetically engineered as a conspiracy. Let me retrace that to its real primary origin. The government has forever worked on creating viruses, either to simulate an attack from Russia or China, etc. So creating viruses in laboratories all around the world sponsored by the NIH is nothing new at all, okay? Um, so it's an established thing that's been done for whatever reasons, biological, military, scientific, medical, whatever those reasons are. It's not a new thing. Secondly, as far as the viruses are concerned, um, in 2002, believe it or not, the State University of New York, Stony Brook, created from scratch from scratch, the polio virus. <laughs> so this was in the news back then, but we didn't think about it because you know, who was thinking of uh, a pandemic? So creating viruses in the labs is nothing new. Even COVID, there was a gentleman who was doing some research on the efficacy of coronavirus vaccines. He went ahead and used a Zika virus um, envelope to insert coronavirus genetic material and created a brand new coronavirus. This was around 2014 or 2015. Wow. So this, you know, the whole idea of viruses being created, you know, they're like a little envelope with ma genetic material in them. You know, scientists have been manipulating them uh, for a while now. So it's nothing new. I wanted to make sure that of all the lessons learned, one of them is that virus manipulation, virus creation, is one of the advances in the scientific yes. world, that it's not new. What we do with that knowledge or ability is a totally different ballgame. So having said that, coronavirus vaccines injected into animals, that's the second thing, have never really been a success. And so you might have heard some people say, well, the Moderna and Pfizer people, they skipped um, animal studies, real animal studies, and they jumped into humans. There are two ways to look at that. Again, it's a lesson to be learned. One is that if they just did animal studies, right, they may have all those animals die, right? Even if humans won't die from the vaccine, um, and they already know that a lot of animals probably die from the vaccine because all the studies I looked at showed that they didn't get as much benefit from those animals prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. So what we're getting information about is that, well, with this COVID-19, we're getting better results even in animals. That could be questioned, but whether or not we can question it, the fact is coronavirus vaccines have not been very, very efficacious with animals. So whether they will be with humans, is, there's a gap of did right. we test enough 
So you, every individual then has to look and say, am I getting the truth out of this? You have to make that distinction yourself. I heard something yesterday that Tyler Perry, they said, he, you know, he's doing an interview on ask, answering questions. I think he's getting some experts together. And the phrase he used is, we will answer all your questions about COVID so you can make your own decisions. Now watch carefully. If you're hypertensive, you have high cholesterol, if you have diabetes, notice you don't have to make your own treatment decisions, right? Right. But with COVID, even a deadly, a deadlier disease, you are now being told you need to make your own decisions. Why is that? Because no one is going to give you the truth that can help you handle COVID the way it should be handled. So again, that's another lesson to learn, that you're not going to get the information you need to help you uh, whenever you might need it, whether as a doctor or as an ordinary person on the streets, as we've seen. The third thing I want to share is that there are a lot of doctors who believe that hydroxychloroquine did not work, okay? <laughs> and they've held on to that belief so firmly, it has almost become like a religious faith more than scientific fact. And you agree, Neil, from your yeah, experience? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's more like we have an anti-HCQ doctor's movement, which is really not a scientific movement, but a faith movement. They believe, they have this very strong belief that hydroxychloroquine does not work. Now picture a baseball diamond, right? Two opposing sides, exactly. north and south, east and west. On the east side is the anti-HCQ doctor. On the west side of that diamond is the pro-HCQ doctor. And I was very, very puzzled and intrigued by this. Most of the anti-HCQ doctors fall into usually one of two categories. Either they don't take care of any patients and they just look at data, right? Or they took care of the wrong group of patients with HCQ and they feel traumatized and disappointed. Right. So if you're in the hospital, I have a lot of, a few doctors, friends of mine or colleagues too, who took care of patients inside the hospital at the peaks of it. And they kept telling me, I told you hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. I said, but you're inside the hospital. I do both hospital ICU and I do outpatient and I see the difference but the pro-HCQ doctors are actually not theoreticians. They actually are seeing the patients. So the question is on the COVID diamond, when you look at the north side, are patients who recovered from COVID by being treated with hydroxychloroquine? And the south side of the COVID diamond on the baseball, right? are the patients who were dying or died from COVID because of one of several things. One, they did not get hydroxychloroquine prescribed early. They didn't get hydroxychloroquine prescribed at all. And number three, they belong to the frail group that will have died from multiple other causes or from COVID itself as it triggered all the immune abnormalities in their bodies. But Again, when you think about it, the pro-hydroxychloroquine doctors were actual treaters. In other words, they were in the field treating actual patients, but the anti-HCQ doctors, the majority who were not treating patients, 
just held on to the theoretical facts that they got from journals. And that takes me to another life lesson, I think, right, okay. which is as a doctor, you must recognize that what you are reading, you may not be interpreting properly. That's pretty, it's almost like, wait a minute. Yes, I mentioned in one of the last podcasts that we, including myself, are statistical illiterates. In other words, people can use statistics to manipulate us and we'll believe whatever they tell us. All right, um, and that's just a fact that when you read an article, you may not know the analytical steps statistically in that paper, even if you understand basic statistics like I do, until you read it. So uh, for doctors, whenever they read, they must not just read a journal, they must research that same journal. Exactly. What, what do I mean by that? That means don't just read it one time, read it, read it again, then read it a third time. Then you, you because at the, the real goal is for you to be able to get into the mind of the authors as to why they are doing certain things in that article. And if you're not able to do that third reading, then you're really not interested in knowing what that paper may or may not offer you. Um, a lot of this uh, anti-HCQ uh, came from papers that were, you know, were not well written. And even if the studies were well designed, they didn't conclude properly. But they left us with this idea, an idea to latch onto about the lack of usefulness of hydroxychloroquine. And when you see, I wrote that book, the hydroxychloroquine debate, look at the papers because the results that doctors who were treating patients were getting were different from those who were just theoretizing and making some instances, some people even made up, as you saw in the Lancet last year in May, exactly. and the New England Journal, some of these were made up papers. But I looked at each of those papers and I realized that after reading each of them by the third or fourth time, my eyes began to open to what was really going on. But I'll say this, for every doctor who really thinks he knows, he cannot base what he thinks he knows on a single read in any journal, no matter how brilliant you think you are. If you really want to know what your perspective is on COVID as a doctor, you should not only read it one, two, or three times, print out the copy, underline it, but even do one more extra thing listen and read to what other experts in the field have commented or disagreed exactly. on the paper. That's a life lesson. And when a doctor can do that, you'll find out that this anti-HCQ movement will disappear because that is a major factor in the high incidence and death rate from COVID-19. It might have looked like it was well-intentioned. I mean, some doctors are saying, we don't have enough evidence that hydroxychloroquine works. Right. Some doctors say, well, but we have, we are treating patients. 38 patients in a nursing home, 34. Eight, the youngest is 85 and 34 survive out of 38. And you want to discount that. And they say, well, those are small numbers. But you know, when we have a heart, 
And that's another life lesson. Some doctors, unfortunately, are so engrossed in data, they don't care about deaths anymore. That was a sad Really? One. Well, so and the reason is because they just think it's, they can't stop the death then it sounds like. So they're just going to focus on data and there's going to be deaths and we just have to figure out for the vaccine how things will stop. Exactly. But then if you look carefully, um, the deaths that we're looking at have increased. Everyone else around the world is saying, what's wrong with America? Well, what's wrong is we have a very highly regulated healthcare environment, right? And we realized last year that just because a doctor, a medical doctor knows what to do to treat a COVID patient does not mean that his or environment will support him or her to do what is best for the patients with COVID-19. That's a serious life lesson to me that came as a surprise. That is, people are dying. There's no other option. We are in April, May, June. There's no vaccine, right? And you're trying to not exactly. have the only candidate that we seem to have. Actually, ivermectin had been mentioned earlier, but there weren't enough studies to even give us a consideration for it. But when the study started pouring in, we still kept quiet about ivermectin. So a doctor must know that his environment may not support what he is doing to best help the patient. Even if there is no evidence to the contrary and doing the right thing saves a patient's life. So you'll find out that last year, only a few extremely brave doctors stood their ground and continued to prescribe hydroxychloroquine. But, right. but you think it's gonna change or not? Early this year, actually, one of my PAs, I met this uh, PA in, uh, I think, one of the hospitals I worked. Um, she bought the book. She was so thrilled. So she sent me an article that just a couple of, about a week and a half ago on another study. You see, this is the kind of studies they tried to block from being published. And it was a hydroxychloroquine study where they showed that there was about a 10 to 15% increase uh, a lower death rate in patients who were hospitalized. Remember we said that even in hospitalized patients, hydroxychloroquine didn't do well once you got right. to the hospital. But this was a study that showed that even in hospitalized patients, hydroxychloroquine resulted in a lower death rate and a greater discharge rate, which we've seen in some studies, some of which I pointed out in my uh, book on about uh, 15 exactly. or 15. Uh, so there's a lesson to learn from that. You know, which is journals are not going to be the only source of evidence. You have got to talk to doctors who are actually treating patients. And if you cannot get to talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, you've got to find information on social media that's not yet blocked. Then you compare it to the results that you might get in your own practice if you're a doctor. You see, last year, many excellent doctors, that's another life lesson, were insulted, called witch doctors, etc., for their position on the truth. And you know, Neil, last year was actually right. you call a fight for the truth with respect to COVID-19. It was so bad, and it's such an ugly fight that some doctors felt 
by getting in the truth series for COVID, they will be called ugly. So they backed out, which is okay. But there are a few doctors stayed on and said, no, we're not going to back down. You can call me ugly, you know. Um, Stellar, you know, in Houston, this other lady, um, Simone uh, Gold. Yeah, you know, Simone's coming on my show, by the way, with uh, Dr. Christopher Hall. Stella, yeah. I said, anytime she wants a copy of that ACQ book, I'll have it mailed to her directly. Oh sure, absolutely. I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna bring that up. She she did a phenomenal job, and she knows she was fired, right? Right. So have, a, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. You know, so so a lot of doctors, uh, the label is ugly, but it's the system that is ugly towards them. Um, so we have to ask ourselves this next question, which I think is a life question. Scientists can give the right drug at the wrong time and insist the drug is ineffective. True or false? It's the answer. True. So, you know, and we saw that. Um, one of the classics is a guy called Galeris. And I had to mention it, it was in New England Journal on May 7th. And uh, he published that article saying that, um, you know, patients didn't respond. They still were intubated. They still died. But hydroxychloroquine is not to prevent people from getting intubated is to prevent them from getting to hospital. This group of patients were so sick that out of that 1,400 something hundred patients, 72 died within 24, 48 hours, just like that. So, you know, and these are the anti-HCQ movements. The last thing I think that I wanna share with people is you won't even find this amongst us as doctors. I do a lot of research, Neil. And I want to simplify things so people can understand. And this is really the ace on the vaccine. You, I know you men I mentioned some of the yeah. stuff, the vaccine. This one is a little preparatory. In other words, when people get a vaccine, when they're vaccinated, their cells develop memory, right? They develop antibodies. And the memory cells are triggered the next time a exactly. virus enters, right? So the duration and the strength of the vaccine is dependent on the type of vaccine virus that's used to prepare the vaccine. So if you use a live vaccine, right? Live virus to create the yes. vaccine, you're going to have the highest, you know? So if you use a killed virus, inactivated virus, so to say, you're going to have a lower response and a shorter duration. You will have to give booster doses, okay? Now, there's a third level, which is if you take a portion of that killed virus, say a nose, right? Or a leg of a virus, just, yeah. you know, just to make it a little more funny, you cut the arm of the virus and you put that into some mixture to create a vaccine, then you're going to have an even lower um, response in terms of antibodies and protection. You're going to also have a shorter duration of effect to protect you. So you need more booster dosing with the portion of that killed virus as opposed to the actual killed virus or as opposed to the actual live virus of the same. So you're getting exactly. a diminishing effect in terms of how your body will be protected against the future virus if you come into contact with it, right? But now there's another fourth step, which is 
instead of taking the actual leg you now of the virus, we're using that, you know, you now say, I'm going to right. take the DNA or the RNA that codes for the leg. So you're going to get a lower response than if you take the actual leg and mix it up and use it to create a virus. And what's more, if you now take the DNA or RNA to say, I'm going to take a fraction of a small part of the virus, you're going to have even a far less effect than if you take the entire DNA of the virus to create a vaccine. So the mRNA vaccines that we have are basically at the fifth tier lower in level than if you use an actual live virus. So if you picture that every time you drop by one layer, you have the effect. By the time you get to the mRNA being used to create the vaccine, you're gonna be about 32 times lower in efficacy compared to using a live virus. It's just an actual number that I'm using so people can understand it. And the point here is when you look at the actual numbers between the um, placebo with, and the vaccine, in the case of Pfizer, it's 0.7%, right? Difference, actual differences. And with the Moderna vaccine is 1.2% actual difference between placebo and the people that got the actual vaccine. They can twist those numbers. Statisticians are magicians too. So they've twisted the numbers and made it look like it was much, much more than that. But those differences between the placebo and the actual vaccine are so small that you can tell that you're not going to get much of an effect from that vaccine. That doesn't mean people who want to take it shouldn't take it, but they have to make their own decisions whether or not they want to take that vaccine. Remember, and don't forget this, I tried very hard to avoid talking about side effects, right? You know, the vaccine is always given to healthy people. A drug that is used to treat you is used to treat you because you're sick. So when we are giving a vaccine to healthy people and we have a 21% likelihood of having a severe adverse reaction, people have to think about the numbers themselves. So if you don't get the vaccine and you're young and healthy and you have a 0.03% chance of getting sick enough to be hospitalized, but if you take the actual vaccine, you have a 21% chance of getting an adverse reaction that may be serious. That's 21 divided by 0.03%. So that's another 2100 divided by three, 700 times difference. So a person has to do their own thinking. Unfortunately, doctors used to help to do a lot of thinking for patients. Now it's saying doc patients have to do a lot more thinking than they planned for before they were born. <laughs> That's how I'm going I mean, to I mean, absolutely. I think it's so uh, it's it, it's a thing. It's just a thing we have to look at. And where do you think we're going now? You just we did lessons learned. Where do we go? What, what's going to happen next? I think the biggest challenge is really the most discomforting, which is think about this. We have all this information. And as doctors, we're overwhelmed synthesizing material from this information that will help our patients. It's hard, right? 
thank God for like myself and people who are far better than me and are providing that information out there. But imagine that a patient who is not trained as a doctor still has to do the same exact thing if they want to know what's best for them and their families. That's a dilemma of the 21st century and 2021 moving forward. Everybody has to now learn how to manage data, evaluate data, and then ask the right questions. That's too much of a burden, but that's where we are today. And unfortunately, uh, the doctors may be helpful. We may not be helpful in that realm. And if you ask a doctor some questions, he may say, I don't know, or I'm not sure, or come up with a politically correct statement that still leaves you unsure whether or not you should go ahead with the treatment, whether or not you should go ahead with the vaccine. That's where we are. That's an unfortunate place. Um, and I think a lot of political, uh, you know, for all last year is resourced for this position now. So moving forward is not very easy. As far as uh, people knowing what to do, if you ask a couple of doctors, they come up with all kinds of answers. So I, I think it's extremely difficult, but at the end of the day, I think we are still stuck with one thing. Every human being on this planet has to know how to manage information and whether or not they are experts, they must find experts in who agree and disagree with one another and find one which fits both, which fits most for what they will want to do or not do with respect to COVID. Uh, it's a very hard spot to be if you're not a doctor. And even for, you know, even for doctors, they, they've been in a tight enough spot to know that they can't have all the answers. And even if they have the opinions, like I have mine with respect to whether or not I will take the vaccine. And my reasons are clear and the logic behind my not wanting to take the vaccines clear to me and I made it clear to others, you know, but if someone comes up to me, I'll say, this is what I'm going to do. You know, that person then has to decide whether that's what's best for them or their family. That's a very, very unfair place to be. But with what we have on hand now, that's where we are. Hey, by the way, I, a friend of mine in London told me that uh, London has actually approved ivermectin for both prophylaxis and treatment of COVID-19. Wow. Yes. Early this week, he sent that to me. Um, I just mailed out the books to him. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. We've known each other for more than 40 years. And that's, you know, <laughs> that's some of the lessons I think that we can learn. And sometimes there are no hard and straightforward questions. And unfortunately, with COVID, there are real good answers, um, you know, but people have to decide on their own whether those answers are good enough for them or whether they have to listen to a politically correct doctor who's going to err on one side or the other without actual objective evidence or re-evaluation of the evidence that they've looked at before because you know as a patient you can go up to your doctor if he says he doesn't believe in hydroxychloroquine and say hey, look doc i think i need you to relook at uh, this article by tang et al and because i think they were giving overdoses and lethal doses you know doc patients have to get to that point and i think if our patient population the educated patient population can get to that point where they can see read a book like mine they can go back to the doctor and say, I need you to reevaluate your position on this because this is, this is a position I think makes sense for the safety of our community and you're part of that community in helping keep it safe. So I want you to evaluate this paper. And the doctor might face that challenge and look at the paper and realize that he was blindsided by 
what he was listening to on the news, you know, that's a possibility. But it's a tight place, you know, it's a tight place that we are right now. Absolutely. Well, uh, best uh, place we can uh, find information on you is go where? Uh, drcaxton.com, D-O-C-T-O-R, caxton.com. Um, if you want to follow me on Facebook, just follow Dr. Caxton O'Perry or Caxton O'Perry um, on Facebook. And I think I have something on Instagram and Twitter. But I think uh, far more importantly, you know, is if you really want to know the truth about what to do, get a copy of the hydroxychloroquine debate. It's on Amazon. It's in Kindle version, so you can download that today if you want to. And you can order it on Amazon. It'll take you about a couple of days uh, to get that, depending on whether you're a member or not of the Prime family. So I think when you read through the book, you will have your mind restraught to another level, and you'll understand exactly, exactly what's been going on this last 12 months and what you can do to protect yourself and your family. People still call me and say, hey, I got this uh, dose of hydroxychloroquine. How do I use it? Um, I don't respond to those com uh, questions if they are on pediatric patients. Uh, I think pediatricians are very wonderful, gentle people. Um, so I don't know whether they are treating their uh, pediatric patients with hydroxychloroquine when needed. So I'm not gonna comment on the pediatric doses, which I have on the adult doses because they're just simple, straightforward. You know, you'll get that information on adult doses in the book and the different strategies for using hydroxychloroquine in mild, moderate cases, you know. All right, well, appreciate you stopping by. Uh, it was a great conversation and look forward to next week's combo again. And uh, we're going to be talking more about medicine and marriage on Dr. Caxton's podcast. Timeless. Uh, timeless. Oh my gosh. Timeless I'll truth. stop that. Truths and marriage and medicine. I appreciate Thank it, you. Dr. Caxton. All right, guys, that was the Dr. Caxton podcast. Take care.